Amen. He does give us everything we need. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. It's good to see you. Yes. Good to see you all on this post-Easter uh, Sunday. Anybody feel a little bit of the, like the, ah, after Easter, or is that just me? Uh, I don't know. I've uh, noticed certain things uh, just as we're about to start this series in Colossians. Certain signs, I don't know uh, if you can relate with this, signs of getting a little bit older. Like I like a good nap every once in a while. I'm noticing my mind starting to go a little bit. Tell me if any of these things have happened to you as of lately, things that uh, remind us of our age. Have you called anyone on the phone and completely forgotten why you called them? Anyone ever do that before? You call them and you're talking, you're like, I know I called them. Anybody ever try to fake it? Or you're like, oh, I was just checking in with you, uh, just seeing what's up. And then 10 minutes in, you're like, oh yeah, I was gonna ask you when you finally remember. Maybe that's one of them, signs of getting old. How about another sign I've noticed is flying past exits you're supposed to get on off on. Anybody to do that? I do that pretty consistently. I'm embarrassed to do this. I'll be on the 101. And every Sunday morning, we have a routine. We have a, all the time, my wife says. On Sunday mornings, I have a routine uh, where we stop and get the Starbucks coffee for you all to enjoy. And we get off on Canaan Road, and I'll just blaze right on past that. I think I've even mentioned it before. And I'll just, without any thought, and the kids will be like, Dad, you did it again. Oh, shoot, there we go. This is the worst, though. This is, this is more recent. How about anybody relate with this? You show up in rooms of your house, and you completely forget why you came to that room, especially the garage. You walk into the garage, and you're like, oh, I know I was coming in here to get something, but it's not coming to me. Anyone do that? All of these are signs of uh, aging uh, process. I've also noticed my hair's thinning. Uh, so there's a, there's a, lot, uh, a lot going on uh, with uh, relation to age. And the reason I bring that up is because, uh, well, it's a stretch. But here's the idea is we can also, showing up to church, forget why we came. What in the world? I just, this is just what I do. I just come here Sunday mornings. That's, it's good to see some friends, you know, have some Starbucks. I enjoy it. So I sing a few songs. It's great. But the reminder, I think it's important for us to have on occasion is why we gather together. And it's on this huge sign as you walk in, the encounter, equip, extend. The encounter one is primarily one of the main things we do here on Sunday morning. We want to be a place where you encounter God. Literally, through the, the worship of Jesus Christ, through the celebration of our maker, our creator, through that, we believe you encounter. The scripture says that he inhabits the praise of his people. We encounter God by worshiping him. We also encounter God through the study of his word. This book has changed lives for thousands of years. Thousands of years, this book has changed lives, and it continues to change lives today. And so my hope and prayer is that you show up on a Sunday morning with anticipation of change. Anticipation of change. God, change me. Why is that? Well, you're like, I don't really like to change. Well, here's the, the reality is on the other side of this, is change is an expectation on the other side of embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the start of the relationship. And then after you've embraced him as the Lord of your life, he's like, oh, well, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. There's some layers that have to be peeled off to, in order for you to become more like him. So on Sunday mornings, we come to worship. We also come in anticipation of change. And the way that God most often uses his book to change us, his word, 
is to correct faulty thinking. To correct faulty thinking. Because we're immersed in a world where we're picking up false ideas left and right. And for us to get into his word is to be like, oh, that's the truth. Oh, I needed that adjustment in order to think straight in order for us to change. So that's why we gather. And this book of Colossians was literally written specifically to correct false thinking. Hey, how about that? That's, that, that's the reason this letter Paul wrote a couple thousand years ago was written was to correct false thinking. Let me give a little background to Colossians. You can start turning there while I'm speaking. We're in Colossians chapter one. We're going to work our way through this book over the weeks to come. The Colossians was written to a group of new believers and they were in a city called Colossae. Yeah, there you go. So we're, we're piecing this together. There's a small market town in Asia Minor, which would be present day Turkey. You can still visit uh, the location still today, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was kind of overshadowed by some of their surrounding more prosperous neighbors. Laodicea, Heropolis were towns that were more known. Out of the different letters that Paul wrote, this was to the most insignificant of any of the cities. In fact, we most likely wouldn't know anything about Colossae if we hadn't had this letter written to it. So he's the reason it's actually still referred to present day. It was, uh, it was located, uh, did I say, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. A gentleman by the name of Epaphras actually started the church. In fact, Paul, you might not realize this, he had never met anyone in that church. He didn't, he didn't know any of the people that he's writing this letter to. Epaphras, who actually started the church, he started it during the, Paul's third missionary journey. This was during the time where he was in Ephesus and the church was just taken off. I mean, it was no longer bound or dependent on Paul. All of a sudden, Epaphras most likely had come to Christ in Ephesus and then brought it back to his hometown of Colossae and it started a church there. So God was on the move, expanding his church. Uh, the, the interesting thing as to reason why this was written, written is Epaphras traveled over a thousand miles to Rome to visit Paul in prison with some concerns about some false thinking that was sneaking into the surrounding area, some, some heretical teaching that was kind of sneaking its way in. It hadn't taken root yet in Colossae, which is kind of cool. So this is a preventative letter that is written on the front side before this thinking broke into the church. So Paul writes this letter preventative saying, hey, let's make sure you're grounded in the truth. So when the lies of the culture come, you're protected. You're under a shelter of truth. So he wrote this book. A couple interesting facts you might not know about this. The book of Ephesians and Colossians are almost parallel. Four-fifths of the book of Colossians overlaps with the content of the book of Ephesians. But one has one theme. Ephesians has the theme of the body of Christ, which is us, the church. And Colossians has the theme of the, the, the head of the church who is Christ. So talking about the supremacy of Christ or the sufficiency of Christ, the false teaching that was being confronted was really two things. You had Jewish believers in that area, and then you had Greek believers in that area. The Jewish believers were allowing the thinking of, you know what, we believe in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus human ritual, 
uh, plus circumcision. That's how one is saved. The Greek believer would have said, you know, it's Jesus. We're okay with Jesus, but it's Jesus plus intellect and thinking. The philosophers are that, that day had imprinted that on their minds. And so it's confronting all of that and saying, Jesus is the answer to everything. Sometimes people are like, oh, Pastor Scott, you just think Jesus is the solution for everything. Don't and you're like, yeah, actually I do. I do. In fact, it's practically played out in our lives. Think about it. the farther you get away from Christ, the more miserable your life becomes. The closer you draw to Jesus Christ, the more whole and complete you are. It's not just something that's intellectual. It's something that's lived out for those of us that follow Jesus Christ. Man, life is in a tailspin when you're wandering. When you draw close, things all of a sudden get heading in the right direction. Let me pray before we explore this section of scripture. Lord Jesus, we invite you to speak to us through your word. We come with the anticipation of change, that we're not finished yet, that you're still doing a work on us. There's still some molding and shaping that needs to be done. There's still some lies to be confronted in our mind that maybe we've picked up along the way. We ask that you do that even here this morning. We invite your Holy Spirit to invade this room and do what only you can do through your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we're going to barely get through the first two verses for the first point. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Stop there just for a second. That's a fairly standard greeting for Paul. And in fact, it mentions one other person. What's the other guy's name? Timothy. Timothy is a close companion. I don't know if you've ever been on the phone before and someone's in the room and they go to you, hey, tell them I said hi. That's kind of the picture that I have here. Paul's starting to write this letter and Timothy's in the other room being like, hey, tell them I, and Timothy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Timothy didn't write this. Paul uh, specifically uh, wrote this, basically Paul's ministry partner saying, hi. He identifies himself as an apostle and he says, by the will of God. Paul was crystal clear. This wasn't something that he came up with. This was God's plan. It happened on the road to Damascus. This had nothing to do with me. God set the course of his life and it changed everything. For many of us, when we look at our testimony, we can say the same. You know what? I was heading this direction. God redirected me and now it's only by the will of God I'm doing these things. And the point that, he wanted to, that I wanted to draw out though, is he refers to his audience. What's the title that he gives them? See if there may be in your notes or the title. It refers to them as saints. Now, you've maybe heard this taught on before, but I still think it's pretty cool. What typically comes to mind when you think of the word saint? Usually, usually you associate maybe a, a picture like this, you know, some guy with a, a, a glow around his head or a dinner plate or whatever that is. And uh, he, he's there, he's got a long beard, he's lacking some hair. I can appreciate that. And uh, he's usually writing something really profound. And of course, he's got, you know, a lion, uh, you know, nuzzled up by his feet. You know, like this is the, the, the super Christian, right? This is what we associate with the being a saint as somebody that's like held in high regard. But wait a second. He's describing all the believers at this church as saints. You know, there's a running theme throughout the New Testament. That's the title that's given to those of us that have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're described as a saint. 
It's the, it's the, in the original language, it's the word hagios, not uh, hagendos, but hagios, which means consecrated to God, holy and sacred. Holy and sacred. You're like, Pastor Scott, you, you don't know. Normally, the people don't associate me with the word holy and sacred, but that's the lens that our God sees us through. He no longer sees you through the identity of you. He sees you through a completely different lens. I want to invite Renee to come up. Uh, I gave him a, a one-minute warning on this before the service. He's going to be my illustration. Renee, uh, Renee's just going to stand right here for a second. And Renee, it's fitting that he's wearing black because he kind of represents sin and darkness and evil and all things bad in this world. Uh, and so, so think about this for a second. This is the way so often, this is correcting people's thinking. This is the way so often we see ourselves. You know, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace, and that's just kind of my identity. The correction of the thinking is, all of a sudden, when we've embraced Jesus, sorry, I'm going to mess up your hair. Uh, when we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, no longer does he see us like that. Now he sees us as perfect and holy and righteous. You can't even see any part of the old Renee, all except maybe some glasses shape here. And uh, the, 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 this idea, he's like, I, I've taken, I, I've made something new here. I, I've taken something that was polluted and broken, and, and now I've made it holy and set apart. We're saints in his perspective. Th thank you, Renee, for doing that. There you go. <laughs> the, um, this idea, and you're like, well, does God just kind of see us through uh, rose-colored glasses? Is he delusional? No. We've been wrapped in Jesus Christ. We've been wrapped in Jesus Christ. Now his, his righteousness is transferred to us. We get to live in that righteousness. So the title saint is not inappropriate. In fact, this week, maybe you try that with a, another brother or sister in Christ. You start referring to him as Saint John or Saint Mary or Saint, yeah, like, let, let's, let's, let's implement that uh, this week. It's accurate because when we actually correct that thinking, when we actually recognize our identity as saints, then we're mo more prone to actually walk in that identity. Because who would want to go back to the old way? Who would want to go back to the old way of thinking or living? You're like, no, I've got a new identity. I need to live consistently with that change in our thinking. I like this quote by Rick Warren. It says, I am not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am, but I really am who God says I am. And who he says I am is a saint. He describes it consistently in the New Testament. Continues that greeting. I just wanted to point to one other thing in that. I love it. He points, he, he, he commends to them. He says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Did you know that out of Paul's 13 letters that he wrote, every single one of them, he has that same greeting? Isn't that cool? Like just kind of a, it's a, his trademark. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. What a, a cool thing. And it's never flip-flopped. It's never peace and grace to you. It's always grace and peace. You know why? Because that order is important. You won't ever experience peace until you've experienced grace. So many people are trying to go in this life and go throughout their, their days trying to find and hunt and search for peace. And God's like, you will never find peace apart from the grace of Jesus' finished work on the cross. That's how you experience peace. Once you've experienced his grace, his forgiveness of sins, the white, uh, wiped clean, the saint part, then all of a sudden peace 
is possible. Continuing the text, verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Like that, because we see, first off, the expectation of believers to be lifting other believers up. He's saying, man, when I pray for you, and he gives them a a bit of a compliment. Notice that it's not flattery because he's thanking God for them. But instead, he's pointing to some different things that have been notable in their church. Faith was one, and you see the second one, also their love. Faith is the first thing he compliments them of. Faith, I like the definition of faith, persuaded something's true, and then putting your trust in it. Persuaded that something's true, and then putting your trust in it. Most of you, when you came in, you looked down, you looked down the row, you saw a chair, you're like, you know what? I'm persuaded that this will hold my weight. And so far, thankfully, it has. There's been no mishaps here. There's nobody on the floor. Like you've, you've put your, your trust in that. That's a silly uh, illustration, but the similar for God. When you've said, you know what? I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, that's going to be demonstrated by you saying, all right, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to actually act on the idea of him being Lord. And one of the things that shows that you're acting on him being Lord and leader in your life is a love for other believers, for other followers. He refers to the man, you guys are doing a great job of loving the other saints. I could say the same for this church. I think we do a really good job of loving each other. Described about how important that is in 1 John 2, 9. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Part of the clue that you've come out of darkness into light is that you're doing a good job of loving your brother. Also in 1 John 4, it says this. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Liar. Pretty intense verbiage here. Here's the confrontation with the misunderstanding in our culture. So often within the body of Christ, people are under the delusion that it's okay to have enemies within the body of Christ. People that you've held on to grudges against, people that you have issue with, people that when they're walking down the sidewalk, you're taking a stroll by children's ministry. People that you haven't let go of some sort of offense somewhere down the line. Scripture is really clear what our options are. One is you let things slide off your back and you forgive. Or two, Matthew 18 gives us a, a route for confronting and addressing some kind of a, a, an offense in our life. But never is there permission to do anything other than just love each other. Just love each other. And I love how it points to the, the reason. He says, verse 5, because of the, of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, this. We're all headed, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're all headed to the same place forever, forever. So the people down the row from you, across the, 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 the church from you, you're going to spend a really long time with them, a really long time. In fact, tell your neighbor right now, forever forever. This is true forever. This is a long time. And for us to figure out on the front side of it, how to get along is key. We don't have permission for anything else. That's a lie that's being confronted. You're expected to love your family. Love your family. Continue. Second part of verse five. 
all over here confronting different uh, misconceptions. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. You've heard the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Here's a thing that I thought was neat here. They're celebrating Epaphras. He's the one that brought the gospel. That's what I had mentioned earlier. He's the one that brought the, the good news to him. The thing that part that I felt uh, compelled to, to mention here is kind of an area of focus. I like this statement. He reminds them, says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now, if we're to turn on the evening news or typically the media that we, uh, that we kind of take in or absorb, you would be under the false thinking that, you know what, Christianity is a dying thing. You know, the church is pretty near extinction. You know, you're, uh, you're still one of the weak-minded ones that still uses that as a crutch. Like, you're, you, you were made to believe that, you know what, this, this whole thing, this, this belief system, that is like believing in dinosaurs, right? But the truth couldn't be farther from that. The truth is, still, as they said back then, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, still that's true today. You can't hop on a plane anywhere on the planet and not land and see God at work pursuing people, drawing people through his grace still today. Recent study of global Christianity done by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary had these findings as recent uh, as 2015. Most recent uh, affiliation was that 2.3 billion Christians are connected to a church and growing. That's about 33% of the global population. Now, some of us might say, well, some of those denominations, they're really uh, confused. But either way, even if you go on the light end of that, there's still billions, say that, billions of people that are following Jesus Christ still today. And from 2000 to 2015, so in the last 15 years, uh, give, give or take a couple years, you'd think that, uh, how about some of these statistics? Islam grew by 1.88%. Hinduism by 1.26%, and evangelicals by 2.13%. You would watch the news and you'd think that Islam has grown by 75%. It's a global takeover. Like you're like, uh, actually, we're winning the race. Like the idea of this is, is, is making sure that we understand you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. 82 million Bibles being printed each year. You're not alone in this. You're not an isolated follower. I think that's important for us to understand. You're a part of the kingdom of God that's still taking ground present day. He points to them, reminding them as a little town, hey, it's not just bearing fruit there. It's increasing around the world. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
Basically, this is a little glimpse into Paul praying for you. Anybody else want to have a, a somebody praying like Paul prays for you? Not, not just praying for a hedge of protection around you or having a, a good day. Like he's praying a legit, meaty prayer for the saints there in Colossus and Colossae. He's praying for them very specific. I love this statement. He says, praying that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding filled with a knowledge of him and all spiritual knowledge and wisdom. You see, this isn't, this isn't talking about just like, oh, I, I learned some new facts. Spiritual wisdom something that only comes from God. It's an appropriate prayer to pray for somebody, man, that they would be filled up, that their spiritual understanding would go through the roof. I was on this trip to Ecuador a couple years ago through Compassion International and I uh, got to be friends with a, a, a pastor. His name is Matt Brown. He's a, uh, he ministers at Sandals Church in Riverside, a bigger church that, uh, down there. And uh, I was talking with him and got to hear him tell the story later on. He told the story about like talking about, you know, God, sometimes he just, he just blows me away with the degree that he wants to engage with us still today. See, a lot of times people think that like God's, the, the Bible's like God's greatest hits and he hasn't written any new songs, right? We have this idea and God's like, no, man, I wanna, I wanna interact with you. I want you to be a part of this, this relationship where you're talking with me and I'm talking with you, where we're interacting. He tells this story, Matt was telling the, the, the story I thought was fascinating. He's like, man, he's like, some people wouldn't believe some of the things that I feel like God has, has spoken and done with me. He's telling a story, he's like, it was a really hard time for our, our church He's telling about a close friend of his that gave him a phone call that we all would dread ever getting. His friend called him and said, hey, listen, Matt, I need you, to, need you to come by. My son, my teenage son, just committed suicide. I need you, need you to come and be with me. I just need some, somebody around. Just to, uh, And Matt's like, man, I'll get there as quick as I can. So he went over there. He tells about being there for like hours and hours and just, just crying with the family and just kind of that thing we would all just, just be terrified of, just miserable. We had a close family friend of ours, similar this last year, and spent time with them. And as you can imagine, sometimes those conversations go, this gentleman asked Matt the question that we all dread as a pastor having to answer. He asked the question, do you think there's any chance my son is in heaven? Do you think there's any chance my son is in heaven? And I, I like what Matt's response was to that because he's like, man, he, he responded, he's like, I, I don't know for sure, but he says, but the only unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ. The only unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ. He says, so I don't know. It all comes back to what he had done with the truth of Jesus Christ. What, had he embraced it or not? He left him with that. But Matt said, man, he, I, he said, I left that conversation. He's like, man, I couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks. I was just like wrestling through that. And I was like, I, he's like, I don't know. He said, I, he's like, he's saying he had a hard time sleeping and uh, he, he knew he had the funeral coming up. And so Matt was saying that, he said, then you won't believe what happened to us. You won't believe what happened. He said, in the middle of the night, he said, out of nowhere, my bedroom, and he's like, a lot of people aren't gonna believe this. And he said, I don't even care. He said, because it's happened, I'm gonna take it to the grave with me. He said, in the middle of the night, his bedroom got flooded with light and an angel showed up, Matt describes in his bedroom, showed up in his bedroom. He said he was carrying a big old sword. He's glowing. And guess what he said to him? Do not be afraid. That's always what they say. And uh, he says, don't, don't be afraid. And Matt's like, he's wide-eyed and having a hard time responding to that. And he said, I came with a message for you. Just wanted to let you know that Stephen, that was the kid's name, 
is with us. Stephen's with us. Now go back to sleep. Matt's like, how do you go back to sleep after that? He's like, uh, he's like, he didn't go back to sleep, but he said he'd never, ever forget that encounter with God, where God sent a messenger to remind him of the supernatural that, hey, God doesn't have so often, God, he talks to us through his word, through other believers. But sometimes, sometimes on rare occasions like that, he says, you know what? I just want to, I want to speak to him and give him some kind of supernatural spiritual direction. In this case, that was a blessing. Can you imagine what a gift that was to be able to bring to that family? I don't know what to do with this other than the angel came and told me your son's with, uh, with them in heaven. I don't know what to do. You do with that what you want. God's kindness was demonstrated that we have a God that's not unconnected, not uninvolved. He's very involved. He still speaks to us. He's still doing the supernatural, and he's still a, a, a God of the miraculous. He calls him to that. That's what he's praying for, that you'd know God's will and that you'd be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding stuff that can't come from books. Then he invites them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I was reading that this statement in my stu- that uh, statement in my study this week, and I'm like, "Well, talk about an intimidating statement. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? How in the world would you describe that? Walks kind of the pattern of daily conduct, how we navigate through this life. And I, I love that scripture makes it so approachable in the description right afterwards. It tells us what that walk in a manner looks like. It talks about bearing fruit, doing good works. Think about that. You're like, oh, that's actually attainable. Looking for opportunities to be, be good to people, to serve people, to go the extra mile, to be Jesus Christ to somebody. That's an attainable thing. I love that he makes it uh, in striking distance. It says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That's a, in the one area, this is where ignorance is not bliss. We're expected to grow in our knowledge of God. And what that comes on is so often on the other side of a little bit of hard work. Let's be real, right? I'll give you a little insight into being a pastor. One of the things that's a a bit intimidating is after we do this on Sunday, on Monday morning, I open up the next section of scripture and I've got a blank sheet of paper. Every single week, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's like finals every seven days. Like, it's like, uh, like every single week, I got a blank sheet of paper. And what I say that, I say that not in a complaint, because what I say is to say, you know what happens? Every single week, when I open God's word, God meets me in that time of study. God meets me in that. Every single week, when I put in the work, when I put in the the diligence of this, there's specific things that he's like, oh God, you got to say that. And I'll read it. I'll be like, oh, that's cool. Didn't say, whoa. Oh, wow. Like it's so that on Sunday, you're just like, why is he talking so loud and so fast? You're like, because I feel like God spoke to me through the study of his word. The same invite is true for you to grow in the knowledge of God. And guess what though? It comes on the other side of some work, putting some work in, some effort in that. But it's, again, a realistic approach that you can do. It says finding, he says, continues on there, other ways of walking in the manner worthy of the Lord, finding strength in God. And guess how you do that? This is is your uh, bonus uh, uh, takeaway here this morning. Guess how you find strength in God? You ask him for it. 
You ask him. Sometimes we got to complicate everything. I think it's as simply as like, how do I find strength in God? You say, dear Lord, I'm running low on strength. Please give me strength. And guess what? He responds to that. He responds. He'll do that. Just this last week on Easter. So I'm kind of programmed. I'm like a three-trick pony. On Thursday night, I normally do a message. On Sunday morning, I do a couple more. Well, Easter throws me off. You know, I got something on Good Friday. We're there on Saturday morning. We got a Saturday night service. We got three services on Sunday morning. By the second service on Sunday morning this last week, I was just like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. After the second service, though, a little bit of a panic set in. I'm like, I've got to do that again. No more talky-talky. Like, uh, Pastor Scott's like, done. Like, and I'm like, I can't believe I have to go back up there. I sit down, I actually think I sat in the courtyard. like, hey, I, I need some strength. And in that, that, those moments before him, I'm like, God, I got nothing left for this. You, you need to show up. And I'll tell you what, he answered that prayer. He answered that prayer. I feel like I came up here like a spring chicken. I was ready to go. I was on fire. They asked, they, I don't even know what a spring chicken is. They, they asked me after the, they asked me after the service. They normally ask me, which sermon do you want to put on the website? I'm like, go with the last one. That was the best one. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit gave me the energy and the power that I needed in that moment for you. That invite is always floating out there. Ask for his strength. He'll give it to you. He'll give you more than, you're, than you think you're able to so that, it says in the text, that you can have endurance and patience. Those are the things that are the outcomes of his strength. Done with, notice the last word there, joy. Here's the important part, and that's a clue as to whether or not your strength is coming from you just manning up and, and being tough and trying really hard, or is it from God? Is the joy factor attached to it. For a number of years, I volunteered with a guy that served every single week, real faithful, was there consistently. But every time he served, he was just a grump. He was a grump, reminding about how little sleep he got and how he didn't feel like being there and he's serving. I'm like, what are you doing here, dude? Like, go home. Like, uh, and so I, I remember I was like, man, I don't want to be that kind of endurance. I want to have an endurance that's like, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. It says what? In the last thing of walking, it says, giving thanks because he qualified you to share in the inheritance with him. We should be the most thankful people. Are you kidding me? I'm in line to have the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. Are you kidding? What does that even look like? My mind can't even wrap itself around that. All of these things are description of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He wants to talk with you and he wants to walk with you. That's dispelling some of the myths of him as an unconnected, uninterested God. We'll end with the last two verses here. He, was, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He ends with a reminder of what kingdom you're a part of. This is his initial greeting. And there's been a, I like to use the word, transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son, no longer in darkness. That's change of citizenship. It made me think of uh, when Adrian and I were first getting married. If you haven't met Adrian, uh, she's uh, Canadian. I call her Canadian. And, um, and so uh, she, when we first got married, we were, um, she had been like a couple years into getting her citizenship or 
permanent residence, blah, 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 uh, uh, green card, whatever, whatever the uh, titles, I get them all mixed up. The, the, getting her green card uh, through her grandparents. Am I, she can correct my story right here. Uh, through your grandparents, it's been a long time waiting for this interview. You wait for this interview date. Then the interview date finally came one month, is that correct? One month after we got married, and we go in and they tell us, they're like, oh, thanks for going through that whole process multiple years, but your, cha- your status has changed. Now you're married, you're not single. You need to start over. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Thousands of dollars, years of all of this. You're just like, start over. What are you kidding me? And they're like, oh, yeah. And until you get your temporary visa, uh, you can't earn any kind of an income. And I'm like, uh, I make $22,000 a year as an intern here. Uh, that's tough for the two of us to live off of. And so that was the, the start over. You see, the immigration process here in the United States is a little bit off kilter. Anybody notice that? It's a little bit broken. I know, Captain Obvious, right? Uh, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the idea. Is the transfer of citizenship from the kingdom of darkness to under the kingdom of the Son of God? Man, it is seamless. It is seamless. There's no part of looking back to the old that you're like, Oh, why did I leave that? That was that was that was so. There's no, a lot of people are dispel. Here's the myth that that's dispelling. A lot of people think you're like, oh, I'm having to leave all the good stuff. You know, the partying. I get the, I got to leave all the all the freedoms and all the you know smoking weed with my friends, like all that stuff. Like you're like, no, actually, you're leaving and you're coming to a completely new where everything is better. Not necessarily easier, but everything is better. I love that it refers to that. He says there, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption is this, taking something that's kind of old and jacked up and making it awesome, right? I I watch too much of that show Fixer Upper, and uh, and so every once in a while, I'll, I'll see them doing something cool, and I'll be like, I could do that. And look, they did it in like, they did it in like two days, so I had this idea of redoing the front of our, our house and doing this, uh, this sanding of these, uh, these beams and like the redoing the front door. I'm like, man, Chip does that in like a few hours. And so, uh, so, so I'm like, all right. And so I was like 60 hours in to this project. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So this, this, this last weekend uh, or last couple of days, I just finally finished doing the front of our house and it's kind of fun, though, on the other side of it. It's on the, uh, I should have brought a picture. Uh, on the other side of it, you're just like, ah, it looks so much better. I like how that turned out. I, I, I like the new version. All of a sudden, you got some brass doornails that aren't green, you know? You got some, you, you got some, a, a door that's been putty filled and, and cracks filled and back to natural wood and a crazy green color, like all this stuff. And God's just like, that's what I do in my kingdom. I take things that needed redeeming, that needed polish, that, that were broken, that were outdated, that were, uh, th- that were just basically a mess, and I love restoring them. That's what he wants to do in his kingdom. There's no looking back like, oh, I miss the old me. Not, none of that. On the other side of this, he wants to redeem us, forgive us of our sins. That's the myth that needs to be corrected and are thinking all of this because change, I, again, I suggest, starts with correcting some of the false thinking that sneaks in, who knows where, somewhere along the line in our lives. Let me pray as we wrap up.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opening to this letter and even how much there's packed in there, how much truth you bring. Correcting lies about our identity, how awesome is that to be known as a saint? Correcting lies about permission to hold grudges and have issues with people that we're going to spend eternity with. A charge in that area. All these different areas that you speak to in us, that you want to interact with us, that you want us to walk in a, a, a manner that's worthy of the title saint in our new identity, that you want us to have spiritual wisdom and direction in our lives. All of this we're grateful for. We praise you, God, for taking the broken old us and redeeming us, making something new out of it. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, Here's a little uh, homework assignment for you all. Uh, on Thursday, I a- introduced the idea. I said, why don't you guys try to, at some point during the week, when you're talking to another brother or sister in Christ, why don't you start just by referring to them as a saint? Like, just use that in the title, Saint Mark, Saint Frank, Saint whatever, and see what God might do with this. Well, this guy, Steve, that goes on Thursday nights, was, he's excited to email me and tell me about his, this great interaction that it led to. He came back in the first hour, and he's like, you got to make sure you do that homework assignment again. So there's your homework assignment. See what God might do with that inter- interaction this week. If you want to stay afterwards, we have a couple volunteers to pray with you following the service. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.